blowout that was out of this world. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Charge On. As always, I am your host, Sean Green. Your UCF Knights, our UCF Knights, just beat the living hell out of the Temple Owls. Like we said, Nick, as always, Nick Geddes joins me. Nick, I don't think we thought 70 points. I mean... No. 70 points? No, no. I was... I said 34. I didn't think they were going to... I didn't think they were going to double up on that, but they did it. But, I mean, last time I checked, what did I tell you that UCF needed to do to win this game? Do you recall? Enlighten our audience, Mr. Geddes. Yeah, I said that UCF just needed to put their pads on and and put their uniform on properly. Yeah. And then and just get on the field and play. Do warm ups. Do warm ups and all take that. Take a drink like, of water. Take a drink of water. Take a swig. You know, wipe your face yeah. with a little towel. Now, let me tell you this: they did test me for a little bit, for about a quarter and a half. They did test me, and I was like, "Man, I look yeah. like a fool right now. I look like a fool." This is one of those any given Thursday type deals. But yeah, no, it was not close after that. It was not close. No. 70 points. I believe this is the second most points that UCF has ever scored in a game. I think 73 against Austin P is in 2017 yeah. is the record. So I think this is the second most. So I didn't have that on my bingo card tonight. I did not, especially against as good of a defense as they faced. No. And for our audio listeners, I'm taking off my sunglasses. I just felt a little dangerous to start the pod. Um, you know, after a game like that, you know. Throwing, bringing out props, but no, you're right. Uh, got a little testy there in the first quarter, but again, Nick, we talked about this, right? Like that has been this season game wise, right? We, I even said it, we were talking about the defense and I said, listen, this defense, top 10 defense in college football. We've said that. We also said they give up a touchdown. They give up points early. I mean, they get, they test to see what the offense is how they run it, and do I understand how that how it happens? I mean, if you're a good defense from the second to fourth quarters, why can't you just be elite in the first? But there's no complaints. I mean, you gave up 13 points. I think we both said that they'd give up seven, right? We thought yep. a touchdown. Well, they gave up that in the first quarter. I mean, it was, you know, they put up 10 in the first quarter. 13 in the game allowed no points in the second half. 56 unanswered by the offense, and that's also on the defense, holding Temple to no points. But Nick, that's honestly, it just seems like UCF might be, if not the most dominant second half team in the entirety of college football, one of the most dominant, because they are a second half team, and it's not even close. Oh, yeah, 56 unanswered points. When you said that, my I just went like, whoa. Like they said it on the broadcast, but just hearing it every single time, it's like that's hard to wrap your head around. Fifty-six unanswered points. Yeah. I mean, this was a fourteen to thirteen ball game at one point. Believe it or not, uh, for those of you who didn't watch the game, yes, it was fourteen to thirteen midway through the second quarter, and it looked like we were going to have one of those dogfights on a Thursday night until UCF just took this game over. And you know, I look at the the stats tonight. The box score is, is tremendous. They. UCF put up well over 600 yards of offense. The first team in FBS this season to put up 600 yards plus in three games. So we've been talking about the inconsistencies of this offense. 
when they're on, they can show you right there that they are one of the top five offenses in all of college football. I think that's really impressive because this is year two of Gus Malzahn. This is really the first year where he has the players, basically, that he wants to run his system. That's what John Rice Plumley was brought here to do. I mean, he's the only quarterback in the nation with, I think, coming into this game, a thousand passing yards and 400 rushing yards. And he made he's improved on that even more tonight. Um, talk about him having a, a, a two consistent performances in a row. We finally got that tonight, and tonight he was perfect. He he was absolutely perfect. John Rice Plumley tonight. Yeah. Oh, and there's so much to like out of this performance, and a lot of people on Twitter, rightfully so, that have been behind JRP for the entire season, said, like, listen, you better say you're sorry to John Rice, and listen, we have, on this podcast, called it like it was. We've called these games like they were, especially early on. We weren't taking away the fact that, listen, John Rice didn't play quarterback for a year. We took that in consideration. We said all this, but he just looks different, especially the last two weeks. I mean, we can look at Georgia Tech and we can say he didn't play well, but also they didn't really try to throw the ball against Georgia Tech. It was, we're going to beat them by running down their throats, and that was going to be our game plan. The last two weeks, Nick, I, I mean, you can't get more por- perfect than this. Tying a UCF record that only two other quarterbacks held, with one of them being Dante Culpepper. Seven total touchdowns, four through the air, three rushing. I mean, and then the con- consistency through the air right? 18 of 22 for 373 and four touchdowns. This, and I I know we could look at SMU last week, Nick, and we could say that was a great game, and it was. The balls he was throwing tonight and the balls we've seen him throw the last couple weeks have been so spot on. Even his deep throws. He's putting them in positions where only the receiver can get them, and the defender has literally no shot at all. He's the the two balls, the one to O'Keefe on the left, yep. the other to Kobe on the right. Perfect balls. And I think that's what we want to see out of JRP. And he really just showed how big of a dual threat quarterback he truly is and what he can be in this offense. Yeah, he, he's got a live arm. I, I don't think that was ever in doubt. It was the accuracy. And I think tonight you saw they, they aired it out more. They got a bit more vertical in the offense. UCF, more often than not, when they go up against these other teams at the moment, their receiving core is going to be much better than those secondaries. That's just a fact. And tonight, Javon Baker leaves in the second quarter. No fear, because you still have two world-class receivers, as far as I'm concerned, in this conference, and Ryan O'Keefe and Kobe Hudson. And I think Gus Malzahn said, you know, we're going to air this out deep. We're going to get a little bit more vertical, because we haven't really been able to do much of that this season. Uh, This whole UCF fast thing and being an explosive offense, we've kind of been telling you, like, hey, maybe this is not what they are. We need to temper it a little bit. But tonight, it was certainly a throwback performance in that respect and hopefully a a sign of things to come because, you know, we had talked about it, how good this Temple defense was and how good their pass rush was. And, you know, it didn't matter how good Temple was against the run either. I mean, they got 322 on the ground and and they got it from a lot of different contributors. Same thing to the passing game. So, yeah, overall, this to me was as perfect as an offensive performance you're going to get there. There's no poking holes through this. They did exactly what I said they needed to do. Impose your will, you know, flex your personality in this game against a weaker opponent. And so UCF showed me a lot. And I think by the end of this, 
probably going to have a number next to their name when we get to next week's game against East Carolina. Oh, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about that at the end of the pod because, yeah, I think that's a very likely scenario, especially after this game. But you said it. When you only punt the ball one time in 60 minutes, I mean, you're probably winning most of those games. And I think it was 10 touchdowns. I mean, that's – or yeah, 10 touchdowns on the night. I mean, they weren't just doing it in the red zone, right? They were throwing bombs. They were hitting receivers. I mean, they – it's it's insane because, again, we go week one to week – like now we're in week five or six, and it's just insane to see the progression. And it's so good to see it out of this squad specifically – a lot of question marks. Again, we keep saying we knew the talent they had, especially on offense. And the first couple of weeks were like, what is it? You have all this talent, and why isn't it meshing? And I will say, Nick, a lot of the things that we've been saying on the podcast, again, offensive line played outstanding, and they have, have improved. Yep. And for all the UCF fans, trust me, I get comments. We we talk about We get comments saying, if you sit, like, how can you say the offensive line's better? This is why. They have shown improvement from week one, right? They are protecting John Rice. And guess what? If it does break down, John Rice gets out of the pocket. One of the best plays, I have it highlighted. The play in the third quarter, offense comes on the field. It's like a third and nine. Listen, John Rice got out of the pocket, looked at every single read he had, and found Bowser on the check down for 45 yards. I think that, if that tells you anything, it tells you, this offense has improved because John Rice from week two would have tried to do it himself, run everywhere, try to get out of the pocket, probably would have taken a sack. He looks cleaner in the pocket. He looks more controlled, not trying to do too much. And it this offense just flows differently. And this it's significantly more encouraging, especially, Nick, when we have said in the weeks leading up, listen, these are the games that you need to figure it out. You don't need to be perfect. You need to figure out who you are before you get into the the big slate of games that you're going to basically need to be who you are when you're playing the Cincy's, the Memphis's, the two lanes. Yeah, uh, and since the Louisville loss, which by the way, I just that, every time this that loss continues to, to frustrate me. It's going to hurt because I look at the rest of UCF schedule and I I said to myself, man, they could run that table easily I think they could if they play to their potential but since that Louisville response uh, that game you look at the response of the team they're outscoring opponents 178 to 56 in the last four games I mean that's just outrageous stuff that, that's one of the best margins yeah. in all of college football over that time and uh, just to put that in perspective it, that, that's how good this team has been and, and again the efforts from everybody the fact that they took over this game to the point the entire fourth quarter was played with the future of this team. Tommy Castellanos yeah. gets in there. Jordan McDonald gets in there. And those two, if that if that's the future, my, my goodness, man. Uh, Castellanos, by Scary. the way, I knew this guy could run. I didn't know he could scoot like that, though. Okay. I, I, I looked down for a second and I heard I heard Matt Berry and Lewis Riddick, who by the way, did a fantastic job on this call. Kudos to them for ESPN for sending the 18. Kudos, heavy kudos. Big time. And they Lewis Riddick, by the way, he let y'all all know that UCF had some dogs on this team, and he said you were going to see it, and they and they responded to that. So shout out to them. But I looked up when they were like, also, there he also goes. Shout out, Go shout out, 
shout out to Florida State. Shout out to a bunch of other SEC schools that wanted Mr. Tommy to play wide receiver. And he said, no, I'll just go to UCF. Yeah. Those schools yeah. in a couple years, a couple years are going to be pretty upset they didn't just offer him to play quarterback. No, yeah, he's going to be a, he's a Gus Malzahnite. A Gus Malzahnite. He, he is a, <laughs> as the more I watch him now, I can tell why Gus Malzahn wanted this guy badly and why it was probably an easy pitch to get him here. But, but yeah, I was just, I kind of looked down for a second and I heard Matt Berry's voice get raised and I look up and I was like, who the hell is that running? And I didn't even know it was Castellanos until the end. I was like, wait a second. I backed, I did a rewind. I don't even do rewinds. I did a rewind though. I'm like, that was Castellanos? I mean, that that run was one of the damnedest runs I've seen. He lowered the boom on somebody. I mean, he put himself on the map, and then he comes back the next drive and nearly did it again. My, I mean, three, what, he had three carries for 88 yards tonight, and then he yes, was a sir. perfect six for six through the air. Jeez, man, there's a reason why Mikey Keene ain't getting and, any playing time right now in garbage. Well, the thing is, and I, the throws, he flings them. I mean, oh, yeah. they are bullets. Like, I couldn't even see the ball. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, he uh, – and it got me even more excited because Jordan McDonald, he's a dog. I mean, the way he was running, I'm like, 16 is going to be somebody. I mean, he was picking up yards. I mean, he had nine carries for 44 yards and a tutty. But, no. I mean, it, it's funny because the future is so bright and you try to look – Listen, I think it's safe to say Mikey Keene has told Gus and all of them, like, I do not do not waste games on my red shirt. I'm assuming that that is the reason. Because, um, yeah, you want to get Tommy some playing time, right? You Like, he has been getting playing time, though. He's come in, I think, three, four games. Mikey hasn't. And they could be saying, hey, we're just saving him. I think it's very obvious. You know, he probably went to Gus and said, listen, you know, I'm in a red shirt. Don't put me in. I'll probably, you know, transfer out. And listen, if that's the case, that'll be a conversation for the end of the year. Lot to love about Mikey, but I think this is the reason this team specifically and the way that it's constructed, especially a quarterback. And when you look at who the future is going to be at quarterback and who they are going after when it comes to transfer portal or recruits, I mean, it's Gus Malzahn's offense. He has a very specific quarterback in mind. And Mikey is not that guy. Yeah. But it's not saying Mikey's bad. It's just not Gus's quarterback. And it shows now in how the offense is run and how he wants it to run. Yeah, it makes more sense now that I'm in, now that I'm seeing it. It makes so much more sense why Dylan Gabriel's not here anymore. It makes sense why Mikey Keene's on the bench. It makes sense why he went after Timmy McLean and brought him in because he certainly fits this type of profile. So I think that's what Gus Malzahn is envisioning. I want to have all these different guys of this same kind of profile and stick them in. And hey, even if, they, if they're not going to play quarterback, I'll find a way to get these guys in the offense because I don't really care who's playing quarterback next year. If it's not Castellanos, I still want him on the field in some kind of capacity if he's going to run like yeah. that and make plays like that. So uh, yeah, the future looks great uh, in that regard. And uh, I'm just happy that they're able to blow out these teams so we can get a look at these guys. Oh, no, 100%. And it makes me just, and we'll get into the defense too because there were some redshirt freshmen or freshmen on the field tonight that also look very impressive. And it looks like UCF pretty much hit on every single recruit from last year. Obviously, time will tell. They need to play in meaningful games. But 
listen, when the backups come in and they don't let up, I mean, it didn't look like the backups were in. Oh, well, that's all. what Lewis Riddick had pointed out on the on the broadcast there. He's like, this is a look at these these guys that have come in and they're not letting their foot off the pedal. And there's other teams that are watching around the country going, damn, I want these guys. If they can't play at UCF, like, I mean, I got room for them. So, I mean, that just shows you yep. the depth of this squad. That's where the games are win and loss. When you get into tighter ones, you got to have ones, but you have to have deaths after twos and your threes to win football games. And I think UCF has proven that they have that. And we talked about it. That was one of the big talking points before the season. We said the good thing is last year wasn't as much depth. This year, UCF made sure they got depth, especially on the offense. Um, one more thing on the offense and just team in general before we go to the defense because defense played, again, outstanding. Um, saw some comments on Twitter, which had to be mentioned. Um, there were comments basically saying, and they're not wrong, that UCF, the teams they've beaten, have a losing record. All of them have a losing record. So basically, and here's my one comeback to that. Okay. Cause yes, you can sit here and, and that is true. I mean, the only team that is even right now, three and three is Georgia tech. Everybody else has a losing record. I'm sorry. People will look at this game and say temples trash, right? Now, not going to, we were saying no disrespect, but UCF should blow this team out. But we sat here and said, this is a serious defense. They've only allowed 16.8 points per game, right? They have been in games against solid opponents. But we knew they were going to, it wasn't going to be close. But I don't want to hear anybody in, I get fan Twitter, what I understand that, right? We're on Twitter. We do the same thing. But to beat a team 70 to 13 and to have the wins that UCF does have, I get the loss to Louisville. I don't care what the team's record is. Now, we'll, again, we keep saying it. We'll find out really in that three-week stretch here coming up after ECU. And maybe even four-week if you count ECU. Because that game's no, you know, walk in the park. Going up there to play, not going to be easy. But, Nick, I don't love the, oh, who they played. Because we can go into probably the top 15 teams in college football and do the same thing and look at every one of the record teams that they've played and we could do that whole thing too. So I well, don't really love that aspect. Well, I mean, you're you've been a UCF fan your entire life. You you get it. You understand it. I mean, it it just it comes with the territory as far as I'm concerned. When you're when you're UCF and you're not a Power 5 program and I think because this fan base is more loud perceived, they're more loud especially on Twitter than other fan bases. And, you know, there was a lot of pushback for whatever reason on the space game stuff this year from other fan bases, which I didn't understand I because that. again, we've been doing this for six years. I didn't, I didn't know this was news to anybody, but apparently this year it really caused a, like I heard the, uh, the school down South was saying that we were gimmick you and that since we have, why do we, we have all this success, but we feel the need to, res to resort to gimmicks. Um, Listen, there's nothing cool about USF. Uh, there's nothing flashy about USF. Uh, you don't win games. You don't get to tell other programs that win what they want to do. Okay? So, Jeff Scott Preach. has, has uh, what, one win against an FC FBS opponent? One? Yeah. Okay? And listen, I'm a supporter of the USF program, but you're making me go there. You're making me go there right now. I feel awful that I just had to go there, but I did. 
I did. Sit down. I mean, they hate us. They, down, they hate us because they ain't us. And that's that's the truth. It just comes with I the mean, territory. It just comes with the territory. I mean, it doesn't – like Michigan hasn't really played anybody, but no, it's Michigan. They're going to get the benefit of the doubt. It's just a different yeah. – it's a different. It's a whole different ball game. You know that. No, yeah. And listen, again, I'm not calling Temple Alabama here, but I'm saying yeah, – I ain't apologizing for scoring points. 70 points on any, on any opponent. It's not easy. No. I mean, no. And if it's so easy, I want to see whoever plays Temple for the rest of the year, I want to see if you can put up anywhere close to it. And also, we weren't trying to run up the score. I mean, we were running the playcock down the entire fourth quarter and still put up like 14 or something. Damn, in the fourth, don't, so. don't count out Gary Bohannon and the boys to not score 70. Jeez. Oh, my. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's get them to at least 30 first um, mm-hmm. against a, a good opponent. I mean, let's think about that. Um all right, moving on to the defense. Um, defense, again, Nick, it's, I think it's more of a broken record thing. Oh, you know what? But before, I don't want to forget about special teams because I, I sometimes do that. Colton Boomer, 10 for 10 on extra points. So I just wanted to mention that. Stud also saw a great photo or video. His grandparents are sitting in the stands and they all, his whole family is wearing Colton Boomer jerseys. And they're marking with a Sharpie on the jersey every time he makes a kick. Just found Wasn't that, that lovely. very fun. Very lovely. But shout out to Colton Boomer for the 10 for 10 uh, to make sure we could score 70. That's 10 points right there. It's uh, pretty hefty. Um, all right, defense. Again, Nick, sounds like a broken record. Defense, again, we mentioned it on the, the pregame to Temple, right? I said every week. They give up a touchdown pretty much at the start of the game. Uh, and then they go and score again, a field goal or something like that. And then the defense kind of stops them. This game, it was a field goal first, held them in the red zone. Then, I mean, give EJ Warner credit, man. That first quarter, first quarter, and then like halfway through the second, he was playing outstanding. I mean, he was slinging the ball. We couldn't really do much to stop it. Open receivers. And Temple was moving the ball. After that, though, nothing. I mean, third down stops, fourth down stops. Defense, again, it's like a lockdown like mentality of we're only going to give you this much, and then you're not going to get anything after that. So what do you you say about this? You know, again, we, we give so much praise, but Travis Williams in this defense, I mean, to do what they keep doing and to only allow 13, I think it's nine straight they've held opponents under 20 points. That's absolutely, like, when you do that in college football, I mean, that's an elite-level program. And consider where they were before he got here. I mean, we were, this this defense was going nowhere under Randy Shannon. It was going, I mean, it got a little bit better his, his, uh, his final season, but not by much. I mean, he, he's really no. had to come in here and, and, and kind of build this identity of a, of a defense at a school that really has never been known for defense. I mean, they've had impacts players, but as a collective unit, they've never had, in my opinion, anything close to what they're doing this year. I, mean, I think this is a top 10 unit nationally. I don't know what the ranking, their final ranking is at the moment. Obviously, things will iron themselves out when the rest of the teams play, but I don't think you're going to find nine better defenses than this one. They have to be included. And you know, I look at the performances tonight. It's starting to be the same guys every single week that flash. And it starts with the two linebackers. I mean, Jeremiah Jean Baptiste and 
I, I don't know what else to say about the guy. The, the, he has gone from being a guy who last year wasn't even starting till at some point in the season to being the unquestioned leader of the defense, always making plays. I mean, the play that he made there, I think it was late in the first quarter, early second, he just blew up. He blew up the backfield and just the quickness for somebody his size you don't see that often, and I think he's turning himself into one of the better linebackers in the country. Obviously, Jason Johnson leading the team in tackles again, and what a transfer there. I mean, a guy that came from a really small school, and to, to plug him right there and replace Tatum Bethune, not easy shoes to fill, by the way, and, no. and he's done that. Salazar popping. I mean, it's it's really those three those three guys, it feels like every week we come on this show, and when you ask, and when you ask around who was your impact player, it's always one of those three. It seems like for the most part, yeah. And I think you know one thing that I think is a valid discussion is they had no sacks tonight. Yep. So in you know there was no takeaways, which this defense has gotten takeaways. I can sometimes feel like the defensive pressure on the line can be sometimes lackluster, giving the quarterback a lot of time. They didn't get a lot of pressure. There wasn't a ton of pressure um, tonight on the quarterback. But I think the basic premise of this defense is they just make plays. Like, stats are one thing, right? You can look at the stats, and you can determine based off the stats who did well, who didn't, yada, yada, yada. This defense just makes plays. Fourth and one, you make a play. Fourth down, especially, like, 0 for 6 the week before, or something like that. How many, I forgot how many red zone or uh, fourth downs they had the week prior, but I know they had a couple fourth downs or one fourth down stop this week. They were 7 of 17 on third down. I mean, again, at the end of the day, if this defense can just continuously make plays, it doesn't like takeaways are important and you have to create them to get those wins, especially against those tougher opponents. But if you just go out and make the plays when you need them, this defense is going to be more than fine, especially when you are holding teams under 20 points. Yeah, I, I'm not really concerned with what the stat sheet said. I'm concerned with how many points did you give up? That's it. Yeah. That's really it. I mean, especially when you score 70 points, you have the luxury of not having to have a sack or a turnover in this one. You just had to do enough. and Which I know, actually think is more impressive. I actually yeah, think it's more and, impressive. Now listen, like UCF when get, was putting it on them. Yeah, yeah, true. But listen, I mean, it's a valid discussion. I think as we get later into the season and some of the better competition comes in, the slow starts can't happen. Okay, that that we do know. I think Warner was clearly yeah. a. I think I knew right away. I know he had some success early on, and I give that kid credit. I mean, he he battled in that game. It wasn't the easiest of circumstances, and. I was impressed with his play out of the pocket and trying to find, always looking downfield and everything. Some of those things you don't see from young quarterbacks. I give him credit there, but I saw him throw a few passes. I knew clearly he was limited on what he could do. So he never really came off as a threat to me. I thought UCF adjusted well after the first couple series to Temple's offense. And again, you give up 13 points. That's, that's really all that matters. And I think, again, because you were blowing him out so much, we got to see a look at some of these younger guys, like you mentioned, I have to think the name that you were going to bring up um, was Damari Henderson. Oh, you, yep. yep. I, I have to yep. think, and we could both talk about him. I mean, the, yeah. the one, the, the one play 
or I think it was Patterson for Temple who was who was running the boundary, and you just see a heat-seeking missile, no pun intended, coming from one side of the field to the other. And even Lewis, even Lewis Riddick was like, did you see that guy that just ran across the entire field the speed to make that play? I mean, damn, for a true freshman, impressive, very impressive. Him and Nikai and him and, and Nikai the pass Williams. breakup. Yeah, and in the pass, the pass breakup. breakup in the end zone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I mean, it's hard to get on the field right now in this UCF defense, but again, we talk about that depth and having it. It looks like these young guys, they they're ready to step in and they're hungry to get some plays. And it's only going to get deeper, especially with the recruits they're bringing in. And who knows, transfer-wise, who you bring in. But, I mean, Cam Moore, number 30, coming in. Like, yeah. true freshman, made plays. Brandon Moore, that was Brandon Moore's brother, came in, made a huge tackle in the game. It is it is refreshing to see. Especially, like, again, usually you don't see freshmen on the field. Like, it was good because of the blowout, but we've seen Nakai, right? We've seen him on the field. He looks, you could tell he's going to be a player for us. I mean, that's obvious. Getting to see Damari on the field and seeing a guy like Cam and on the offensive side, you know, seeing Jordan McDonald, seeing Tommy, seeing your future and seeing them make plays, especially in a game where as a defensive player, if I'm coming in and the other team's getting their butt whooped, 70 to 13, and they're driving the ball down to make plays to stop them from scoring. I mean, that's that that's all that can tell me. Like the coaches are doing an outstanding job getting these guys ready and also getting them ready for the future. I mean, they're coaching these guys up. And I mean, we could talk about like say the penalties too, like those have gone down. These coaches are excellent. And I think it just shows you UCF is becoming a program that is all around, all around good. Now we got to yep. prove it. I mean, listen, we're proving it, but these next, we're halfway through. We need to prove it if we want to get to where we want to go. But this was a step in the right direction, Nick. No question. Yeah, it was. Perfect offensive performance, great defense performance perfect special teams performance, all that good stuff. Hey, uh, I did want to bring this up because we did talk about it, the Space Game uniforms. It's yeah, official. Bro. It's official. Number one. Number one, dude. Oof. I don't know if I can say number one. Looked- it's tough. But that was uh, – uh, I don't know. Actually, the more – I don't know. I don't know. I might I might have to, to sleep on it a little bit. But I, I liked what I saw. I have – I might change my ranking a little bit. I had to adjust it just a little bit because I was really impressed with what I saw. And then I tell you what, I don't know where there's a box of those Cape Canaveral blue Citronaut polos laying around that Gus Malzahn was wearing. But I can go if, get you one. If I anyone, think. I think if anyone happens to see any of them laying around, a medium, a large, one of the two, um, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I want it, and I and I want this school. We don't need to be the UCF Knights. We can be the UCF Citronauts, in my opinion. I'm I'm all for it. I mean, we've won all the space games. I'm we've all for all it. The black games. end zone. Can we keep the black end zone oh. every game? See, Space Knights, shout out to Space Knights. Uh, there was somebody on there talking about the black end zone. I guess because of the Florida heat, die, it would die, it would kill the grass off quick. Yeah. I'm fine if we yeah. just keep painting it. And re- like, dude, uh, keep it for three games. Make all the night games. Yeah, like, yeah, sure, that black sure. End zone take, is that a, so take it out of more of the kids, the kids' tuition. Sure, do it. 
I don't care. I'm not there anymore. It, gives, it looks who good. Gives man. a rip. Hey, listen. Yeah, they're not taking my tuition anymore. I yeah. mean, hell. All right. One last thing. Is UCF ranked? I mean, now I don't know when this comes out. I, it's either going to be Friday or Monday. But if we had to guess, I say at least twenty-five. I say they have to be. You can't. The you have to put them ranked before the Cincy game. And I think this is the week to do it. They've been proving themselves. I think twenty-five. Okay. Well, here's here's where I'm at with this. I don't want to hear any negativity. I know they I'm didn't not, get any. This AP isn't negativity. Last week. No, this isn't negativity to me. Yeah, it doesn't it help. They didn't get sometimes. any votes. It does not help. Yeah, they didn't get any help. votes. Okay, that's going to be that's. And I don't know. It's it's Temple. The more I think about it, I don't, I don't think they're going to be ranked. I really don't. No. Oh. I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I don't so, care. I mean, I'll just I'm just, I'm trying to handicap it here. Like Baylor, Baylor was the number 2017, uh, the 20 was 27th ranked. They lost tonight to West Virginia. So okay, that's good. So they're out, right? Cool. Tulane's a team that had a lot of votes. They're going to get USF this week. They're going to beat them up. So US uh, UCF's not going to jump Tulane. Um, Florida, I, they, they might, get. Though. I don't think they will. Florida, they get LSU. You know how the committee feels about their SEC victories. Yeah. Um, yeah, just Notre Dame, BYU, North Carolina. Like, they got to coast, – Coastal Carolina. I mean, they got to jump those teams. There would have to be a lot to go wrong in the top 25 this week. I mean, I look at it like James Madison is the Cinderella at the moment, and they play Georgia yeah. Southern who had the big win over Nebraska. Okay. So, I mean, they could lose that game, I guess. I could see Illinois losing to Minnesota. I could see Kentucky losing to Mississippi State. I mean, can you see Cincinnati losing at SMU? I mean, we I could obviously not. see Utah well, losing to USC. So, I just gave it to you right there. I think that there's five of the bottom six ranked teams that could all lose this week. Utah, Cincinnati, Kentucky, uh, Illinois and James Madison. I think Texas will have its way with Iowa State, but the other teams right there, I think they could all fall out. And then, then we're talking. But the way it's constructed, the fact that UCF didn't get a single vote this past week, I'm a little bit more skeptic about it because they're going to have a lot of things to have optimism, to go right in their favor. I know my optimism, man. I know. Trust me. I will say this, Knights fans. Okay, and the ranking doesn't matter. And let's be real. We've said that right after the loss of Louisville. It literally means jack. It means nothing. But I, me and Nick talked about this off camera. I guarantee you, if UCF goes and beats ECU, and Cincy beats SMU, we will both be ranked. UCF will be ranked. Cincy will be ranked. And I am saying now, Nick, I know that there's other factors in play. Mm. I am betting money right now that we will get college game day. And if that's the case, wow, that will be something. I, I get it. That's a conversation for another day. We don't have enough time to talk about that. But I'm saying if we beat ECU, and since he does what they're supposed to do, even though they suck, since he sucks. Oh, my God. They suck. They suck. Anyway. I don't care. They're trash. If we do what we're supposed to do and they do, we will both be ranked, and that will be a game that College Game Day can go to. 
I'm ending it there. Thank you so much for tuning in to Charge On. We appreciate you as always. This team's figuring it out, and we're having a ball. Hopefully, we can keep it going because we don't like the negative pods. We like the positivity pods where we're all happy. It's fun. Please like, share, subscribe, comment. Do all those things you usually do. Go Knights. Charge on. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.